Our series is called Head to Toe. We're talking about not just being informed in faith, but being formed by our faith. Today, I think you've probably by now picked up on the fact that what we're talking about this morning is how we're formed by relationship. Relationships, the key relationships around us, shape our lives. So let's turn to the Word of God, Luke chapter 15, this very well-known story. It's called the prodigal son, but it really is a, a, a parable about a father who always comes running. Hear God's word this morning. And he said, there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took it on a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, and he sent him into his field to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe, put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring the fatted calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called to one of the servants and asked him what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fatted calf. But he has received him back safe and sound. He was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you, and I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. And when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, son, you're always with me, and all that I have, all that is mine, is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this, your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. This is God's word. Let us pray. Father, bless us now to receive your word, that we may be formed, heart and soul, mind and strength. In Jesus' name, amen. Chocolate-covered pretzels. You remember the first time you had a chocolate-covered pretzel? I do. I thought, chocolate-covered pretzel? you got to be kidding me. You don't put chocolate on a pretzel. And then I ate one. I was like, ah, oh, now I understand. 
salty sweet. It's good. Less is more. I remember the first time I heard that, and I thought, ah, I know exactly what that means. Sometimes too much of a good thing is not a good thing, right? Less is more. What I'm describing to you are things that don't seem like they go together, but they do. And when they do, they form something unique and, and special. Law and love go together. And that describes what we mean when we say covenant. Covenant. Covenant is a very difficult concept to understand, to wrap your mind around, until you understand that it really is a chocolate-covered pretzel. It is, it is both an official contract and a personal engagement. An official contract and a personal engagement. It is law and love together. That's covenant. Now, the word covenant in the Old Testament is bereth, and it means to cut. And we're going to be talking about that later. Uh, in, the, in the New Testament, it's dietheke. And, and it really represents this, this contractual but personal relationship. That, neither of these words is used in, in this passage, but this passage is all about law and love. And so let's take a look at what a covenant relationship is because this is, this is the kind of relationship that shapes us. It's the kind of relationship that, that helps us be formed in the likeness of Christ. It's the kind of relationship that helps us in all of our relationships. Let's take a look at what it is and how it forms us. First of all, what is it? What, what is a covenant relationship? Well, it's a healthy relationship. It's that, not a balance, but maybe even a tension of law and love. It's both law, 100% law, 100% love. The younger son wants just one. So let's think of it like this. Let's think of it um, as, as two wings, law and love. Bird needs two wings to fly. Plane needs two wings to fly. The younger son wanted love without law. He wanted to fly on one wing, right? He just wanted love without law. He wanted, he wanted his share of the estate. He wanted his property. He said, what's coming to me, but, but, but he leaves the law behind because you wouldn't have this kind of situation. This would be scandalous. And what Jesus is doing is he's shocking them. He's shocking the hearers. He often does this to get people's attention. A father would not divide his property like this. It would be an insult to the son. It would be uh, a very strange thing to uh, concede to as a father because as a father, he's, he's essentially saying, I know I'm, I, I shouldn't be living this long. I mean, that's, that's essentially what he's conceding to his son. I've, I'm, I'm living too long. And, and you know, you want to get on with your life and you want to have fun and you, wanna, you want your share of the estate so you can do life the way you want to do it. And I'm still around. The old man's still around. And that's what essentially is what's being said. It's a terrible thing to say to your, to your father. So he's wanting to leave the law behind. He's wanting love on its own purposes uh, according to his own needs. We want what we want when we want it, right? This is what the younger son is trying to make work for him, to make life work for him apart from the law, apart from the father, apart from God. No structure. But the father brings law back to love. You say, Tim, I don't see that. I see a father indulging his son. I see a father who's just sort of enabling his son, right? He's just saying, here, 
Okay, you've got this terrible attitude. Let's, let's bankroll that, right? You're going, I don't understand where the law enters into this thing. Well, let's think of it this way. Let's modernize it. Many of you, and I have on a number of occasions, dealt with uh, people who are dealing with an addiction. An addiction. Dealing with somebody who is addicted to something is painful and difficult and confusing. It's, it's wearying. Because you often think that the person is, he just needs emotional support. That the, the, the person is going to, that what they're saying is the truth. That their promise to you this time is, is going to, uh, that, that they're going to be faithful to that promise. That if you just help them a little bit, that they're going to get to the place where they're going to start taking responsibility again. And, and that this is what they need. They need support. They need just a little bit of assistance. They need some help. And what's really difficult about this is that often we think, we, we feel sort of trapped. We think, you know, I don't know how this is going to go with this person. But at the same time, I really feel a sense of responsibility to help someone because, you know, the, doesn't the Bible say, you know, give to, to people who ask, you know? Now, imagine this. What if you could, uh, if you can think of somebody who has dealt with addiction or somebody that you know of who's uh, been dealing with somebody who has an addiction, what if you could give them a fast track to rock bottom? That would be a very good thing. We call that tough love. In other words, it's a chocolate-covered pretzel. It's like saying, let's go ahead and play this movie forward and see how it concludes. And let's, let's go there. What if you could, with somebody who's dealing with an addiction in their life, if you could say, let's fast track you to rock bottom. Not just nurse you along a little bit. Let's get you all the way down to where the only place you can go is up. Well, didn't I just describe the first part of the parable? Isn't that what the Father does? Isn't that what Jesus' point is? It really jumped out at me this week when I was looking at it. Just like, this is exactly what the Father's doing. He's saying, I can see where this is going. And you know what? No matter how long this son of mine is in my house, if I just nurse this attitude along, you know, we could be here in 20 years with the same attitude, with the same kind of idea that I'm, I'm just going to make life work for me apart from God, apart from the law, apart from structure, apart from relationships. And so he says, let's bankroll this, because I know that if he wins the lottery, if he wins Publishers Clearinghouse, nobody ever wins that, right? But if he wins, I got a call from them this week. It was a great conversation. I'll tell you about it later. But if you win that Publishers Clearinghouse and you have, and you're headed in a terrible direction, you know, it's like, it's kind of like a pandemic. It kind of brings out what's already there, you know, it kind of exaggerates what's already there. The father is saying, you know what? We need to bring the law to bear on this. I'm going to speed us ahead to rock bottom so we can get on with law and love. You know, God does that throughout the Old Testament. You see it in the garden, right? You see it in the wilderness. You see it in the way that even Babylon is used to be rock bottom for an unfaithful Israel. The whole Old Testament is this woe and wheel, this, this, um, this rhythm of turning away from God and, and God giving 
uh, Israel over to themselves. Financing, bankrolling them all the way down quickly to rock bottom so that they may return. This is exactly what's happening. Well, the older brother wants law without love, right? Can't fly on one wing this way. The older brother is a rebel too. You ever thought of the older brother, the, 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 uh, the older son? I'm trying to get out of the habit of calling him the older brother because really, we need to relate to the father in this, in this parable. He's the older son, and the older son is a rebel from the father too. Say, well, he was obedient. The father doesn't disagree with him that he was obedient, right? But what he's saying is, I've obeyed you, and now what? You owe me. You owe me. Isn't that sometimes what, what we do? It's, a, it, it's the same as the, the younger son. It's the same song. It's just a different verse. I want life apart from the Father. I want life on my own. The son, he wants to burn out fast, right? Shooting star. The older brother, older son, he wants to do things in, in, by the rule book. He wants to guarantee for himself a blessing. You owe me. Verse 29. By the way, back, backing up just a second. In verse, in verse 12, you can see... Now, you can see these scriptures throughout. We've printed them for you in your bulletin. You can see verse 12. He's talking about, give me the share of the property that's coming to me. And now, verse 29, the older son, he's saying, he wants to throw his own party. You notice that? The older son wants to throw his own party. He's saying, I have done this, and now you owe me. He is using God. To run from God. But do you see how he's saying, uh, read this, let's read verse 29 together. You never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. All right, so there's a contrast between the fatted calf and the young goat, and the young goat is not worth nearly as much as, as a fatted calf. It's not a celebration, it's sort of more of a matter of course, but just give me a young goat that I can celebrate with my friends. And the father is saying, your party is way too small. Way too small. Everything that I have is yours. But guess what? The father is saying to the son, I come with it. Don't you want me at your party? Don't you want me as part of your life? He's calling him out. You see? He's calling him out in the same way he's calling out the younger son. In the same way he lets the younger son... Learn the natural consequences of life apart from relationship. Life apart from the structure of relationship as it is designed, you see? Now, let's update this. We updated the younger son with the idea of addiction. Let's update the older son and this attitude of trying to make life work for us apart from God. That's what this is about. This is about a rift in relationship and about how law and love puts relationship together. Covenant love, covenant relationship. Where do, you, where do we see this kind of attitude today? This, this uh, I'm following the rules and you owe me, right? 
Where do we see that? Well, I saw an article this week in Salon. And you're thinking, Tim reads Salon? <laughs> well, somebody turned me on to this article. No, I don't read Salon, except when somebody ref- refers me to it. And, uh, but I do think it's, it's important for us to, to read the, the breadth of, of articles that are out there so that we can see how slanted every publication out there is. This is a very big slant. And I'm quoting from Salon. This is the title of the article, and this will irritate you the way it irritated me. Staunch atheists show higher morals than the proudly pious from the pandemic to climate change. Did you get that? Let me say it again. Staunch atheists show higher morals than the proudly pious from the pandemic to climate change. Oh, okay. So now, not only... Are we being asked to be in contrast to staunch atheists? We're being put down. Moral high ground is now with atheists and agnostics. Well, here's what's going on here. As as you all can probably figure this out, right? You can figure out that it's not that they're more moral, but that we disagree on what is moral. But we're going to frame it up this way, right? This is not to beat up on uh, the staunch atheists. We don't need to be comparing ourselves to other people. And that's the point. Why are so many news articles framed this way? Because we have this human, broken human need to be better than. Isn't that what the older son is saying? I've obeyed you. I came from the field. Not like that son of yours. Do you see how he puts that? That son of yours. <laughs> I mean, it's so personal. It's just amazing. That son of yours. You know what he's really saying. So you see, we do it today. An ancient story. An ancient story. How relevant it is. You can see it jumping right out of the headlines. We try to make life work for us apart from God based on morality, trying to stuff underneath our lives our own sense of what is moral. We're going to decide for ourselves. And you know what? (laughs) That whole thing, the the mores of culture and what's right and what's wrong, sometimes those, those things are really shifting sands. And so on the basis of what is really the the cause celeb or the or 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 what today is fashionable. We're going to say, well, we're ahead. We're on the right side of history, and you all aren't. We don't need to be defensive about that. And that's the point. Christians need to be on the offensive. Not to be offensive, but to be on the offensive. To be for, to know that that we have law and love together. We've been given this great gift. We don't have to compare ourselves to others. And if, if you're seeing that in the culture, maybe it's because they're reacting to us. Maybe, maybe Christians are doing the very thing that we're, we're faulting in this Salon article. Maybe, maybe Christians are way too often comparing themselves. In the interest of trying to shape culture, they misshape relationship. Are you following me on this? Do you see how important this is? I mean, we have to get this right. 
We have to put law and love together. And this is exactly how we're formed. See, now you understand what covenant love is and how important both, both law and love are. But how does it shape us? Well, you see, I keep saying this. I've been hinting at it. How do you think it shapes us? What have I been saying? I've been hinting at it. You see, this is a parable about a father who always comes running. He ran out to the son, the younger son. He goes out to the older son. You see? And in verse, verses 23 and 31, in each instance, the father is saying, I'm giving you myself. I'm offering to you myself. Now, how does that shape us? That's the question you need to have hanging in your mind. How does that shape us? How does the father's offering of himself, let's read these again. Bring the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. What does that mean? Well, he's saying, look, this is out of my livelihood. We've already given, he's already given him his share of the inheritance, right? So where does the fatted calf come from? It comes from his own livelihood. He's saying, I'm giving to you from my share, from our share, from what's remaining. He's, he's, he's saying, you are unworthy, but not worthless, right? And to the older son, he's saying, verse 31, he's saying, all that is mine is yours. All that is mine is yours. Now, again, I want to keep bringing up the question, how does this shape us? How does this shape us? Let's go a little further. We need, as, as you know, I've shown you in both love without law and law without love, we need to be justified and we need to be celebrated. Let's look at these images here for just a minute. The robe and the ring. What do they represent? The robe and the ring. Let me read to you from the Old Testament, Isaiah 61.10. I will rejoice greatly in the Lord. My soul will exult in my God. For he has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has wrapped me with a robe of righteousness. Now, how often do you use righteousness or righteous in everyday speech, right? I mean, sometimes people get slang about it, like, man, that was a righteous shot or something like that, you know, watching a basketball game. He was right, you know. But, but we don't use that word because we always think of it as self-righteous, and that's the point. We need God's righteousness. If we don't have it, we're going to try to fill that vacuum with either love or law apart from God. We need the security of the robe and the signet ring that says, not only have I been welcomed back and I'm covered and my sin is covered, but I represent, I'm an ambassador of the kingdom of God. You see, that's what the ring represents. That's security. You know, in the 70s and 80s, there was this trend in parenting that said, you know, we don't want to stifle the creativity and the personality of, of, of young children. So we're just going to let them rule the roost. And, you, you know, I, I remember this trend even when I was young. And I remember um, there was a school in uh, Chapel Hill, North Carolina. I lived in Durham. And I remember this school. And I remember interacting with these kids. And, and this, was the big, this was the big stamp on the school was that, that we are going to let them decide 
where their priorities are and what they think and what matters. We're not going to set any structure. And you know what? It makes children very insecure. They do not thrive without structure and security. Righteousness, being right in a relationship with God, is wired into creation. It is hardwired into what you and I need. And it's going to show up at every layer of relationship. Law, love and law together. Love and law together. But we also need affirmation. I love uh, Mark Twain's um, quotation. He says, I can live two months on one genuine compliment, right? (laughs) Can't you? I love that. You know, when you know somebody really, it, they're complimenting you, and it, you know that there's something to it, that, that it's, it's grounded in something true. It's a wonderful thing. We can't live without affirmation. We're made, again, hardwired into your being is the need to relate well to other people. And so you see, the shoes, not just the robe of righteousness, but shoes, just the practical care and concern for the son. And then sacrificing the calf, slaughtering this calf. Now, you say, all right, so I, I still have this question. How does it shape me? How does it shape me? In verse 31, you see again uh, that I come with it. He's saying to the older son, let, let, me, let me finish up today by explaining to you and tying this together with the original official covenant of the Old Testament that was cut in Genesis 15. And then I think you're going to begin to see how Jesus is all in this story. He is the father in the story. He's showing up everywhere in the story. He's running out to the younger son. He's running out to the older son. He's represented in the sacrifice. He's represented in the robe and the ring. Jesus is making an appeal both to the rebel who want love without law, and he's making his appeal to the religious who want law without love. He's making his appeal to those who want life apart from him. And he's saying, don't you know me? I'm your father. And if, you, if, if we're going to put this to right, if we're going to put things to rights, as the British say, if we're going to put things to rights, We have to have love and law together. Now, in the Old Testament, Abraham was brought before God. And God cut a covenant with him. I told you the word is bereth, and that that relates to the word cut. And so, in the Old Testament, bereth and uh, cutting and and covenant really were very akin to each other. And so, he was to take... Uh, you know, he, he was to go out into the, the you know, the, the barnyard, the farm, farmyard, and to take some animals, and he was to slaughter them and, and divide them in half. And if, if, a, if a, a suzerain king in that time, in the Near Eastern uh, uh, treaty texts that you can read in that uh, day and age, uh, if they were to uh, enter into an agreement together, they would do this. This, this was common. They would slaughter an animal, animals, and then each party... Uh, if the king was entering into an agreement with vassals who would come under his protection, they would each walk between these pieces as if to say, okay, if either of us 
If either of us breaks this covenant, then the one who breaks it should become like, this is the, the consequence, right? This visual consequence of death if we break this covenant. But in Genesis 15, Abraham doesn't walk between the pieces. God appears the way he appears in the tent of meeting. Of meeting. He appears as a, a pillar of fire. And he alone passes between the pieces. And see, what Jesus is saying is the father and the sacrifice and the appeal, this naked appeal, this humble appeal, this, this leaving, relinquishing his glory and coming down. You know, Philippians chapter 2. Now, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort with his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, make my joy complete by being like-minded. And then he goes on and he says this. Who? Jesus. Like him. Being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God as something to be held on to, but he humbled himself and made him obedient even unto death on a cross. He took on the form of a servant. Do you see how the whole New Testament and the Old Testament start to pop when you understand what Jesus is saying in the story and how it all comes together, law and love, Old Testament, Old Covenant, New Testament, New Covenant. Now, how does it shape us? I'm going to summarize it with a quotation from Frederick Buechner that just absolutely nails it. And if I could get you to write it down, I would. If I could get you to memorize it, I would. How does it shape us? How does this covenant love, this love and law relationship shape us? Here's what Frederick Buechner says. He says, faith is a word that describes the direction your feet start moving when you know that you're loved. I'm going to say it again, because this is just so good when you start to get it. Faith is a word that describes the direction your feet start to move when you know that you're loved. That's the scandal of grace. We've been talking about grace, singing about grace. That's the scandal of grace. Either God is in it, and mysteriously, he is moving from love to law and law to love. Where the loving initiative he takes in your life takes you to the structural law, a river that has banks, right? And the law shows you how much he cares for you, that he brings you into alignment with the way you're made. Faith is that word that describes the direction your feet start to move when you know that your Father in heaven always comes running. Let's pray together. God, shape us, we pray. Shape us through the compelling invitation to be your sons and daughters again. Form us, form our direction, move our feet, motivated in grateful service for what you've done for us. In Jesus' name.